In our culture, we learn through stories. But what if the stories we hear don't match the reality of life? What if the stories we hear every day that tell us how to write the narrative of our lives actually lead us to a false narrative? My name is Tim Kroll, and on this podcast, you will hear real stories. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Real people sharing the hard times, the bends in the roads along life's journey. If you're ready to join a community of other real people who are writing the narrative of their lives, then go to narrative.live and join the community. Now let's dive into today's show. Back again, another freaking awesome story. (laughs) And uh, my friend, and it's funny, I actually have to say this, and we talked about it in the green room here. So this is eyeing... It's not Ian, even though it's spelled that way. And everybody always asks and everybody always says something about that. But this is Ian Garlic. Uh, we met, oh my goodness gracious, I forgot. Uh, probably Tony, I think, introduced us out of anybody. I think that's where we met. It was through Tony Grubmeyer. Uh, we met at Black Label. I remember meeting Oh, you. that's right. That's right. Yeah. That was, Black Label Mastermind. Yeah. So that was five or six years ago. Um, we are both on the e-com journey. We are both kind of in this whole area, this industry of e-com. Man, we had some really, really awesome, great talks about business, about life and about, and we've met up a couple times since then. So it, it's an honor to really have you on the show, to be able to start to hear about your story and to kind of hear some of the in-depths and the changes, the twists and some of the false narrative that you believe versus the true narrative. But let's start with this way. Can you give me like a 30-second pitch of who Ian is? And not what you do, but who is Ian? Yeah, I mean, I own several businesses. I love marketing. I've, you know, I have a garlic marketing show. I have a podcast. And I'd love to help support businesses, support causes, help transform lives, help people think in a bigger, better way through customer stories. I can attest to that. I've seen some of the stuff you've done and I can, I know your heart, so I can totally attest to that. So, all right, let's jump in. Cause like I said, we always talk about the false narrative of what we believe versus what we believe now. So let's start with that. As you were developing and becoming, what was the things that really made you who you were and what were the beliefs that you formed about the story that you were going to write? I mean, I always thought that to make a big impact in the world, you had to make a whole lot of money. And that's, I always felt like I needed to do that. I didn't want to make money so much to have a lot of stuff. And it was more like, hey, if you want to do stuff, I realized early on, like, you know, if you want to make an impact, it's not going to be through simply, you know, getting up there and yelling at people. You've got to have power and you got to have some sort of uh, clout. And so I also was surrounded by, some very successful people. And a lot of my friends were very successful for various reasons. I mean, billionaires, so you would know a lot of their names. Yeah. And it's it's hard because you, you see this and I believe that that's what I needed to do was become, you know, a billionaire or, you know, at least a hundred million, you know, nine figure person to be successful. And, you know, you see a lot of that and, then there's a lot of these gurus that tout that too. Like, hey, you have to work all the time, work really hard. And, you know, we have to be looking at scale, scale, scale. And I, that was early on the business. And later. So let's dive into that a little bit, because I like to not just say and state that false narrative of this is what you have to do, but really try to uncover that and, you know, peel back those layers of onion. Like, why did that become 
And how did that become your belief? Like, what were the things? Was it an example? Was it something somebody said? Was it society really pressuring you? Like, why did you feel like that was the thing? I mean, I saw a lot of people that did it. A lot of people I knew really well became very, very successful and for various reasons. And so I, you know, when you see it, you're like, well, I have to do that. I have to beat that person or like I have to at least be at that same level, even though we all are, you know, I realize now we're all going for like achievements different for every person. But the one thing we look at is like dollar amount, especially your business owner. It's like revenue and a number of employees and amount of stuff you have. Right. And, and that's, and that's it. You know, if you're an author, it's book sales, uh, you know, or were you a bestseller and all those things I felt like I had to do. And, you know, I think it's, I always want to compete with everyone on their game. And I look back at it, you know, even when I was playing basketball, I wanted to go out there and shoot the three pointer, even though I'm six, six and could play inside easily. I wanted to, you know, be, I mean, now obviously NBA is six, six, but college and high school, <laughs> it was a different story. And, you know, I know the feeling that my coach used to scream at me. He's like, you do not go outside of 10 feet. Do not go outside of 10 feet. <laughs> yeah. I totally I can hear that. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and, and then you see people and you want to play their game and beat them at their game. And it's, it, you just can't, but it, it took me a long, and I'm still fighting that. I'm still well, fighting it. I think we all do that. I think we all kind of have that narrative, but again, it kind of comes back to this. So you were competitive you had a drive to follow the success and you saw everybody else doing it. And, and it wasn't, it was like more of an adopted narrative than it was your narrative, like something that you were truly crafting. Again, it, I know you said it kind of comes around from the people that you surrounded. Was there stuff back in your childhood that you felt like, Hey, this is how I'm going to define myself. Was there things that, you know, whether it's your parents or society, like I said, is there things that, that really kind of forced you into that path? Well, I mean, one thing I always knew was I couldn't work a lot for someone else. I worked for other people, but I was always close to the owner. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, and, and so, you know, it's, I always had to set my own path and my father was an entrepreneur. So and I grew up in that and, you know, we, we had wild success and wild failure. And I think, you know, that, that kind of started it. And gotcha. then it was just, I was always a swing for the fences person. I played golf. I was always, I swung. Like it was the coach had to take the go the driver out of my bag. I could crush it, you know, three fifty, but it would be be all over the place. And I think that's I, I think that's just in my nature too, is yeah. I have to swing for the fences, even though, you know, if you can just chip your way around the golf course and and win the game. Yeah, and it's interesting how we all kind of fall into those patterns. It, I mean, it sounds like you had a great dad that modeled the entrepreneur. Many of us didn't have the entrepreneur father example, so that's that's an awesome experience. But then. I, I guess it goes this way, and I, I'm asking this question just as much for me as for anybody else. Sometimes something that's so good can also turn out to be one of our biggest challenges as well. And having a great model, did that really, did that kind of deter you in any way? Or wh where were you at with that? No, I mean, it showed me, like, you know, it's a good example because my sister is very much like she's no risk taker, right? And she works really hard. We're both hard workers, but she works even harder than I do. She has much more drive. And she, you know, isn't a risk taker. I'm a risk taker. I'm like, because I always knew no matter what, I could get back up. And so it's like, uh, you know, I would always be able to sit back up and, and push it to the edge. And if it broke, 
I could get back up and fix it. And I, that was modeled for me because I saw that, you know, when parents lost everything several times, I mean like everything. And it wasn't just like, Oh, you know, we don't have a nice car. It's like, Oh, kind of don't have a house right now. Right. And all that stuff happened really hurt my sister. But for me, it was like, I knew it set a demonstration that I could get back up anytime. And I think that combined with like seeing other people doing big things, I didn't stay focused on what I enjoyed doing as much as I always had to go. This is the hard thing. This is what I have to do. Right. And instead of going, Hey, I'm really good at this and I'm making some good money here. Let's focus on that. I'm like, no, this is the harder, bigger thing. Let's go after that. <laughs> it's the, the driver instead of the putter. It's just, or the yeah. uh, tipper, just like you said. So what was the shift then? I mean, like if that is the path and that's the narrative that you were writing, it's like, okay, I got to constantly be hitting with the driver. What was the shift or what situations or circumstances created this whole concept of, okay, I can actually be successful even if I'm chipping all the way up to the green. I mean, it's still working on it, but I mean, a few years ago, a lot of stuff, you know, like in our business was too spread out. I was trying to do too many things and a lot of it came to fruition and I had the wrong people in place and I didn't take care of things. And, you know, we had a big dip in the business and I had to get focused again and it's still occurring. Right. And we had it happen again recently and I'm still looking at that, that big thing. I'm still working at it, but I still have to focus and go, listen, what they're saying isn't what I have to do, but it took a while. I mean, I think, you know, especially that time going through those masterminds, because when you see, when you get into some of these groups with a lot of entrepreneurs, especially if they're a big group of entrepreneurs, it, it's like, it, you know, pardon my French, but it's like, who's got the bigger one, right? And everyone's talking about all their successes. No one's like, that's what's great. You're talking about the failures. And everyone's like, I'm doing this big thing. I'm doing this big thing. And I'm like, man, I'm not doing that well. When in reality, I look back, I'm like, yeah, I was actually doing better than all those people. Bottom line, you know, it made me realize how often you don't see what's really happening at the bottom line. And I think that for me was the realization. I was like, what's their true bottom line? I mean, you know, a lot of the same people too. You know, they, like, I did $10 million this month, right? And it's like, oh yeah, but I spent $11 million. <laughs> so when I really dug deep into it, you saw the reality of that type of entrepreneurship and scale. And, I, and then I also realized there's two types of entrepreneurs, those, those mission-based entrepreneurs that really want to build something cool, build something and change. And then there's the money-driven ones, which is fine, but we so often are led, like right now in the narrative, by the money-driven ones. Like, look at the planes, look at the top line, instead of like, I'm building something cool. And that's what I got into even starting the business. Like, I wanted to build something. And mm -hmm. I mean, I always loved Legos when I was kids. I loved building something going, hey, I built this. It wasn't so much that it was the biggest or the best, it was like, I built this and, and have something to show for it. Not, I made this much money. And I think that's the big shift I've been like trying to come back to. I love what you just said there. And I can feel the exact same journey with you because I remember hearing that. And oftentimes, and I've seen it on posts, it's like, what are you crushing? What is your biggest, you know, like you said, the biggest success? And frankly, that's what inspired us to do this is because we know there's tears, there's sweat, there's blood behind every success. And we often don't talk about that. And so I'm really glad you said that. I, I have to say, and maybe you can add to this, is that the two guys that impacted me the most at some of those masterminds was Vinny and Tony. Those two guys just totally 
upended that whole narrative. And really, that's what started me on the exact same thought process that you're doing. So I don't know if it was either of those or if it was an actual event or the losing of something like what really you said on your business that started going back down. Was there anything else that really kind of triggered that? Well, I, I survived. We've been in business now 14 years, right? And it's always ups and downs. And I realize now that the down lows get higher, right? And the highs get higher. And How so did you realize that though? I mean, like what, what really allowed you to actually stop and say, okay, it's okay to be on that low? I, well, a few things, you know, I, I think it was John Maxwell wrote a good book on business. I remember reading that a long time ago. It was like every single time I, I went to the next level, I had to go back first, right? And you really look at it and you have to. If you're going to get to the next level, you're going to get past it. It's not, you're just not going to push through a plateau. You're, you've got to change some stuff. You've got, you know, what you've got you to hear is not what's going to get you to the next level. And if you want to go to the next level, and the other thing is like, do I want to go to the next level in that business? And I have to ask myself that question too, because just because you know how to doesn't mean you want to. And I think that was another thing is like some of the things I was doing, I knew how to do them. I just didn't want to do them. <laughs> and I think that's a big, big thing to understand too. It's like, because I do a lot of coaching with age, other agencies and I see this and it's, it, I think that coaching aspect really helps. I mean, what you're doing too helps you to see yourself. And I saw a lot of them going, you know, hiding their problems because they didn't want to talk to anyone about it because they didn't think anyone had problems. And also they're battling for something that they, like I could hear it in their voice that they just didn't really want. I was just talking to our friend, Nate Kennedy. I just had him on my podcast and we were talking about that. And, you know, he came to the realization that like, hey, I know what I got to do the next level. I just don't want to do that. And like, that's, you've got to have that self-awareness. Like there's people, if you like are all about a hundred million dollars and that's like, if you're Gary Vee and you're like, I just need to get there and that's what I want and I'll do anything to get there. That's great. Fair play to you. But I think that's a very small percentage of the people and you have to sacrifice certain things. Yeah. Yeah. So take me into your mind then when you're hitting some of those lows, especially at the beginning stages of this transformation, what were your emotions like? How were you thinking about your self-value, your worth, and the confidence that you had? Did that get shaken, or where were you at? Of course. I mean, it, it, you have to be a sociopath for your confidence not to get shaken. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you, know, you said that, because that's perfect. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's... I think one of my... The things I often come back to is, like, when I'm afraid and anxious, I Stuart Scott, who, you know, great sportscaster, he talked about how nervous he was. Like he knew Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was his friend, and he would still get nauseous interviewing Michael Jordan. Right? Hmm. Woody Allen, whatever you think about him, has made some amazing movies and made what 60, 70 um, award winning films, and he still gets nervous making a film. And I think that you, because you know what you can do, you're going to lack the confidence. And then the anxiety comes through. And, you know, I'm lucky to have a lot of support around me, but, you know, but all that stuff comes in. Right. Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing this right? I, I still got it. You know, even today I was looking at some more numbers and like, oh, I'm like, no, that's where you got to push through. And that's, you know, in really thinking that obstacle, it's not the thing that you got to be afraid of. It's the thing that you've got to embrace and go, what am I going to do to change this? And I have the power to change this. And I think that like when I would have the anxiety and go, listen, I've got the power to change this. What am I, I'm going to take care of it. You know, you get to that low point and then you transform. 
So how do you get to that stage of being able to say, okay, yeah, I got, I recognize I got the anxiety and now I can deal. You said you have support. Maybe let's walk through that part of it. Like who is your support? How, how do you find that the ability to be able to then just kind of push through that? Cause that's the hardest thing. I mean, some people, they get stuck in that. They, they feel that the self-worth and it's like, well, I'm a failure. So I'm just going to give up. How do you push through that? I mean, you have to have, there's a few things. You have to have people that are really, truly your peers surrounding you, like yourself, like entrepreneurs. Like you you and I talk, I talk to Tony Gremmeyer a lot, my friend Jeremy Weiss, Greg Hickman, my friend Doug, that are entrepreneurs, that are running businesses. So we can be sounding boards, and they tell me about some of their problems, I tell them about my problems, we talk about it, we laugh. And you know the fact that they have faith in you helps support you. My wife is amazing, she has a lot of support, you know, a lot of faith in me. And almost too much to the point where I'm like, I get angry about it. I'm like, I don't know if I can do that. You know, it's like, she's like, you got to think positive. To be honest, you know, visualization is crucial. Visualization is absolutely crucial. Well, you call it manifestation or what? If the greatest golfers, I come back to sports analogies, but the greatest drivers, the greatest, you know, anything in sports, they visualize, visualize, visualize. And you have to visualize the positive because it's really easy. The anxiety comes from visualizing the negative which nine times out of 10, the worst case scenario is not going to happen. And probably 15 times out of 10, the worst case scenario is some amalgam of stuff that's actually not clear and hazy in your head. If you sit down and go, what is the worst case scenario? Then you can plan for getting through that. And I think that is absolutely crucial and go, okay, I can handle this. Because really in the, in the end, anxiety is the belief that you can't get through this. And then, you know, finally, you've got to have great books I love audiobooks and great books. I think one low points, you know, I'll, I have to do is pick up Victor Frankel's Man's Search for Meaning. And man, that really will shift my your mindset really fast. A, you hear a story of concentration camps, you're like, yeah, I hopefully I'll never be close to that level of problem, right? <laughs> and B, that he was able to push through that and, and how that your perspective defines it. So, you know, I think, you know, you've got your personal support, your internal support, and then, you know, like, the books that can be your really mentors. Yeah. One of the last episodes we had, probably you're the fourth or fifth person that's brought up Victor Frankel. I mean, he's just, he's so quoted, but I didn't realize he was actually a contemporary of Sigmund Freud and they, they were actually in the same timeline. And I, it just, it, it, anyway, there's a lot of really interesting studies on how that all and where it all comes from and uh, the search for meaning. So let's transition into who you are today the belief of where your self-worth and your identity come from and how you're crafting your narrative at this time. I love what you said about the community and especially seek. I think too often we don't seek that out. And uh, that's something that you have to work hard. I, I know in my earlier life that was, I missed that one completely because I didn't seek out the proper community, but where are you at? How are you crafting your story now? I mean, I am working on building uh, a community uh, of like-minded people you know, because it's a, a lot of times you build what you don't, you can't find. And <laughs> I found it in some places, but I, I really, I firmly believe that, you know, if you want to change your life and change your world and change business, you've got to be good at marketing because that's all it is. Like it, most of our negative feelings these days are coming from social media marketing. You know, I'm really working on that. I think customer stories are so crucial and that's why I spend so much time on it. And it's not because it's, you know, just testimonials, but like understanding who you're helping and having that in your back pocket, right? It, it should be the guiding light for everyone. So, you know, really focus on helping people 
capture their customer stories, use it throughout their marketing, but also helping those businesses that help them use those. I mean, that's my big focus in business, you know, and being a dad. What about personal? What do you do personal wise? I mean, you know, spend time with my son. I live on the lake. You know, I love being on the lake. You've been over there and I love going out, going fishing. And we spent the day yesterday with his friends out in the tube and, and swimming and stuff. I think that's amazing. I love being outdoors, reading. I love to write and I love to create stuff. So and I love to cook. And so those are my big things. It's hard, really hard, though, as an entrepreneur, because like it's really hard not to make something that you love into your business because, you know, you can't. <laughs> my wife's like, don't start, you know, like don't, I grew up in the restaurant business. My wife's like, don't start a restaurant. I'm like, but I want to, I could do this so good. And I'm like, I, the I, 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 so thin with restaurants. <laughs> I know it's just such a bad idea. My parents always, my parents own restaurants. They always told me never get in the restaurant business, but, uh, it's, it is margins are thin, but, uh, you know, it, it's, that's what I love. And I'd love to spend time, you know, talking to friends and, Talking business. It's I do like talking business. I don't feel like it's work, especially when you're helping someone out. Yeah. So let's you know if we can kind of dive in with all of that mental aspect. And I, I again, I love talking with you because we just kind of start hashing ideas. But if you were to look back and all of the things that you've gone through, would you trade any of what you've gone through for where you're at currently? Oof. Right now, I would change some stuff for sure. I would have gotten more focus earlier on. Mm. I look at you know the premonition with YouTube and, you know, we've been doing it for 15 years. I'm like, man, if I just, while we went deep, I didn't realize how right on we were. Mm. I, I, I would have gotten more focused on that. Yeah. I think from a business standpoint, that's probably the big change in personal life. I, lo- I love my personal life. I love my friends. I, I love a lot of what we do. I wouldn't change much there, but that's probably what I would go back and change. How would you redefine success though now? I mean, like that's another thing that you said you pretty much shifted from the beginning of chasing the money, chasing the titles and all that. How would you now redefine what it is that you're chasing after? That's a good question. I mean, right now I'm chasing after enjoying what I do. And I think I would have earlier on found more of the right people that to do the things I didn't want to do. And when they didn't do it, the right job, gotten rid of them faster. I mean, it, no offense to people that work for us. We've had a lot of nice people, but I, I, you know, it's like surrounding yourself constantly with people that just want to be the best. I think so that's a business. What about personal side? I mean, because I mean, there's obviously you just I, I, some of the stuff that you talked about. And again, I, I love that part of the conversation is like it's shifted from the dollar to really a more mission service aspect. It sounds like that's can you kind of go yeah. into that? Yeah, I mean, I, it always has been there. I think um, I still think the impact will be there. I think if I would have focused more, I could have balanced it more. It's really hard to say. On the personal side, I don't feel like I would have changed a whole lot, except for like what I'm, what makes me happy, and like mm-hmm. just working with people and doing things that I enjoy. And when it wasn't something I enjoyed for a long time, cutting it off faster. I did that a lot early on. Like I went through a lot of jobs early on and everyone's like, you're switching jobs. I'm like, but if I don't like it, why do it? <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and there's stuff I love doing. Like I've loved bartending for a long time, worked at the top restaurant in New York and I'm like, eh. and I love trading. And then, you know, I loved working. And then when nine 11 happened, I couldn't do it anymore. And I realized, Hey, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. But it's, it's the faster I realize that and ship. And I think that's a big thing. It's like people are afraid to commit because they're afraid to then cut the cord 
And the, the only thing I would say is like, over the you know, once you become a business owner and father, you've got to stay committed. It's just staying committed to the things that I love doing instead of staying committed. Cause I was committed to the things that I thought were going to lead to growth versus the things I love doing. So if you were talking to yourself and you go back and you look at and talk to yourself, how would you define that and say, Hey, look, this is what you need to focus on. This is, I mean, how would you refer that back now to yourself? And the reason why I'm asking too is because there's people, and I really truly think this happens. We're going to have two people that are listening to this. One is the people that are like Gary V, like you just said, like, Hey, I'm going to make a hundred million and that's my goal. And that's going to make, and you're going to have that individual that's totally focused on that. But then you're also going to have that one that, Hey, it, it, that that sounds a little bit more like me. I, I thought I had to do that hundred million, but I don't. So, like, let's talk to both of them, but kind of do it in the way of you're talking to yourself back twenty years. I mean, I would have said define what you want, right? Really, really want right now. What do you want your day to look like? What do you want to be able to do? And realize that's going to shift. Right? You don't have to, to figure out what you want your day to look like five years from now, even two years from now. Just right now, what do you want that to look like? What's it take to look like? Develop a business around that. Once you've got that down, now let's look at, well, what are some of the cooler things that we can do that excite me, right? And keep that part that's making the money, that's keeping me happy there. And now let's work on some of this other stuff and stay focused on one thing at a time. Walt Disney is one of my favorite examples. I love like I love his story. The book by um, Pat Williams, founder of The Magic, about Walt, how to be like Walt. Amazing book. I've read it like three times. You know, he talks about his brother, Roy had a, a filing cabinet. Every time Walt had an idea, they would put the idea in the filing cabinet and they would work on this idea, right? And on the main, oh, they'd work on one idea at a time. And I think they always kept things right. I mean, they took it down sometimes. Like when he did Disneyland, he took it to, you know, sold his house. Mm. I don't know if people know this. He sold everything to start Disneyland. But, you know, he knew that he'd be able to make it. He took the big bet on it. But he had enough with his family, right? He had a place to live. Yeah, He's like, the rest of the stuff didn't matter. And I think that's probably the big thing. It's like, get that piece that's your safety and then work on the other stuff and keep that safety and know that you're, you'll always be safe here. I, I was actually just reading someone talking about, it's like your runway, right? Know what your runway is to collapse. So if you get close to that, you, you don't ever have to be anxious. And then you can be really, really bold in this one thing and get focused. Yeah, it sounds a lot like the Maslow hierarchy components where you, you got to make sure you have your base down. And then from there, you can risk a lot more once you know your base is solid. Man, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to give you dealer's choice here. So either A, if there's something on your heart that you you like, man, I didn't get to say this and I need to say it. Or B, if you like, hey, I, I said this back a little bit ago, but I really want to make sure that I, you know, if you don't listen to anything else, listen to this one thing. So I'll give you the choice on which direction you want to go. I mean, decide what you really want, right? And, and, and don't make it about someone else. Don't make it like, oh, I see this person on Instagram with, you know, a plane. Here's the fact about most businesses. They're not going to hit seven figures. You can have a very, very, very good business that never hits seven figures and have an amazing life, you know, if you handle it the right way. So realize what you really, really want. And if you don't know that think about what you really really don't want do you not want to i mean because if you're fine working 36 hours a day or whatever I, obviously there's not 36 hours in a day but, um, <laughs> feels like it though sometimes <laughs> yeah if you're working around the clock to get to somewhere that's fine if that's who you are but if that's not who you are don't do it just because you think it will get that end goal no matter where you get to will never make you happy 
The journey, man. I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. And I know you're working on a book. Um, I, I Probably by the time we actually post this out, it'll be done, complete. Give me a 30-second on that. Yeah, it's uh, video testimonials that land the big fish. It's really the whole customer story process that we've dealt, a thing called the case story flywheel, of really working with your customers, collecting their stories, and building your business around that. I'm telling you, like you, you can make all the money in the world, but if you have unhappy customers, that's not there. But if you really make your customers happy and get bigger and bigger customers, and then you know craft their stories and collect them, it's going to transform your life and your business. And so this is the whole process I've used with my clients for the past 15 years. It's evolved. And this is the book uh, is completely evolved. You can go to testimonialbook.com to get access to it. And there's a bunch of extra stuff in there. Uh, yeah. But it's 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 more than just shooting video testimonials. It's the entire process. Oh, and I think it goes hand in hand because you've shared a little bit the whole aspect of talking about your story and about how you actually craft it and create it. And I, I love how this goes together with what we're doing with the narrative. It's just part of your customer journey. So this is an awesome piece of that. If somebody wants to get in contact with you, what's the best way? LinkedIn, you can go to Iron Garlic on LinkedIn or uh, Instagram, both those. Comment on somewhere and say, hey, I left you a message. Comment on one of the posts. I'll notice that and uh, I'll connect with you there. Or you can go to videocasestory.com if you need help with your customer stories. Yeah. So you can find his name in the notes. You can find the links in the notes. You can find the book in the notes. You can find all of that stuff in the show notes. If you're listening, it's I-A-N. And then G-A-R-L-I-C. So you can do a search on that. And I'm sure that you'll be able to find stuff either on LinkedIn or wherever else. Dude, man, this has been awesome. I really, really appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. Yeah. Thanks so much. And I really appreciate you having me on. It's always fun talking with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So until next time, guys, gals, those listening, if you haven't subscribed, love to have you get a subscription here. If you haven't checked us out on YouTube, we're going to post the video. Sometimes you get a little bit of extra. We keep recording, sometimes not. But I'm telling you what, man, we just want to continue sharing these stories and allowing people to feel supported, encouraged where they're at right now. So until next time, keep writing your story, crafting your narrative. We'll see you guys later. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the author of your story? Take the next step now at www.narrative.live and enter your details to connect with a community of others just like you that are tired of living under the false narrative. Finding your true story and writing your narrative, it will give you clarity, freedom of your day, and it just might change your life forever.